It's time for Hamilton County Goes to the Movies for November 29th, 2019. This is a periodic podcast all about film featuring Adam Austin, local Carmel business owner, preparing to take a seat on the Carmel City Council in January, and of course, a lover of film. My name is Larry Lannon. I write the LarryInFishers.com local news blog from Fishers, Indiana. Adam and I have been very busy in recent months, so we haven't been able to produce our film podcast for a while. But with the holiday film season gearing up, we will talk about a number of films we have seen lately. So let's get started. We're at Donatello's Restaurant, 9 West Main Street, in the heart of the Arts and Design District, downtown Carmel. It's been a while, but it's always good to see Adam Austin. And Adam, a lot has happened since we last talked to you. But the first thing I want to talk about is this. You and your wife, Nicole, are absolutely brave souls. Not only did you travel to Paris, you took your daughter under age one with you. That's, that is a, I mean, having been a parent, that's not an easy thing to do. First of all, tell us about your trip to Paris and how your daughter handled all that. So it was a pretty good trip. It was kind of the choice of bring the baby with us or don't go at all because my parents still work and uh, her parents work. So it's kind of hard to take a whole week and try to find someone to watch the baby. Plus, we hadn't really been without the baby for I think even a night, let alone a week. So uh, I think the baby and my wife would have had some separation anxiety. It was a good trip. She behaved great. I'd had her strapped to my chest. I was surprised how many times she fell asleep strapped to my chest, just walking around museums. So, And she ate food fine. Uh, she One restaurant, they were feeding her French fries, and she thought it was the greatest thing on earth for a I know. I was like, don't give the baby French fries. She's 11 months, but but she was happy. Uh, the funniest part, though, that was kind of weird on the flight there, and it's not a bad flight. There's a direct flight. Indianapolis. Yes, and it's pretty affordable. You can get around $500, $600 round trips uh, if you look pretty well. It's not that hard to find an affordable flight to Paris right now, and it's direct, so it's about eight hours, sometimes six if it's they're going fast, but the baby, they gave us a little uh, special seat. At, they were nice where you could uh, have a little crib for her. The crib that they attached to kind of the bulkhead is the scariest looking baby crib. It looks like the thing that Hannibal Lecter was strapped into. Oh, <laughs> it looks like a straight jacket crib. Oh, no. It's this beige uh, canvas thing with these... <laughs> It's not very decorative. She slept in it fine, but it was kind of creepy looking to to see her sleep in that thing. So she apparently did fine in the trip. You enjoyed having her with you as opposed to being separated for a week. I get that. So you and Nicole, what were your favorite things to see and do in Paris? So we um, we weren't able to go to Versailles just because it's a little far, especially to travel. We stayed in the Montmartre area, and we ate a lot there just because it was close to the hotel. But fortunately, it's a neighborhood with a lot of good restaurants. Uh, I know that we're talking about movies today, so tying it in, we actually went to 
the restaurant where the film Amelie mm. took place. You ever seen that one? It's been a while, yeah. It's it's got a big cult following. I think it came out in like two thousand, and there were still people there who were coming to that restaurant specifically because of the film Amelie, and okay. they wanted to get creme brulee because when she mentioned she likes to crack the creme brulee, so. Um, we went to a lot of museums, the Louvre, the Rodin Museum, Orangerie, um, many others. You and walked uh, by Notre Dame Cathedral. What's we left did. Of it, um, you can see some stuff. But you can't get very close. Mm-hmm. So, all right. You, so, you, do you have a favorite of all? Yeah, you, you did a lot. But uh, people talk about the Louvre. Was that everything? It's cracked up to be. It's well. It's it's kind of difficult. So, if you do go to Paris, one thing I recommend: they have this thing called the Museum Pass where you spend, I think it's like uh, 50-something dollars for two-day pass and 70-something dollars for three-day pass. What it uh, means is you can go to every museum once in a day, um, as many as you could, and there's a list of the museums, and and most museums are included. But the real thing is, um, yeah, maybe you might save some money because if you go to two or three museums in a day, the math does start to add up. If you don't really, maybe your break-even point, but it's still worth it even at a break-even point, because you get to skip the ticket line uh-huh. and go straight through the security line. Yeah. And if you have a baby, they'll sometimes rush you through the security line, too. <laughs> well, so, so having uh, your baby there did have some benefits for yes, you Yes, were, people, were, uh. people say the French were rude. Maybe they were nice to us because we had a baby. <laughs> they were always polite, and uh. on the Metro... Uh, a French resident would always give up their seat for us to sit with the baby. Oh, Tourists nice. never. <laughs> Tourists never got up. <laughs> so, uh, how was the rate of exchange? I, I, I've, I've traveled to Canada years ago, and I know the strength of the dollar versus the whatever currency the euro you're dealing with. So, did it turn out to be about even, or in uh, your favor, not your favor? I, I mean, I, I didn't pay too much attention to that. Usually, when I saw the euros, I. In my head, I would still automatically think dollars, okay. but but even if it was dollars, either the food wasn't that expensive or the exchange rate was good because nothing <laughs> seemed outrageous. So. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm glad uh, you and Nicole had a chance to take that trip. And last question: Any language barriers, or you have trouble? So I was remember when I went to Italy a couple years ago. I started studying Italian before I went. Well, I did the same thing this time with French, and I took French in high school, so it actually kind of came back, but. Just like Italy, you can study, 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 but you really don't know the language until you mm-hmm. practice speaking it with people and immerse yourself. That's why they always recommend if you want to become fluent in a language, the best way is to go live in that country. So I studied a lot, and I could read a lot of signs, and I could understand people and say basic things, but getting into in-depth conversations, even though I studied hard, eh, it still wasn't happening there. I mean, David George, who's a councilman in, in Fisher, has done a lot of international travel, and he always told me, he says, you don't have to necessarily speak the language, but if you, le- if, if the people, in, like, he goes to Germany quite a bit, he says, if the, if the Germans know you have made an effort to try to at least know a few lines of their language, they will respect that. If they know English, they'll just go ahead and speak English with you. And a lot of people in Europe do speak English as a commercial language. Well, we'll get to our films now, because I wanted to hear about your trip, and it's been a long time since you and I have had a chance to talk. We've taken an interregnum because we've both been busy. Uh, you're getting ready to take a seat on the city council, helping run the restaurant here, and of course, you had your trip to Paris. So, and I've been uh, doing some teaching for Indiana University, where I traveled the state and did a long preparation. Missed most of the, in fact, I missed all of the uh, Heartland Film Festival. So I'm looking forward to getting some gems you might have picked up there, which I didn't get a chance to see. But I want to start off with a film that's 
creating quite a buzz. It's The Irishman. And it's creating a buzz in a lot of different ways. And I'm just going to set this up for you before I ask you what you think. Uh, The Irishman was a film that was in production. Paramount was behind it. All of a sudden, there were technical issues with with what needed to be done because you are and you've seen the film just recently. They're, these men, these main characters, are basically in three different stages of life in this film, and so it's not just makeup. Makeup can't do it. A lot of it are special effects that have to be done to make them look like they they're the age you're supposed to be in, in the scene. But when that got expensive, Paramount pulled out, and and Martin Scorsese was kind of trying to figure out how he was going to finish the film. Well, who stepped in? Netflix gave the last $125 million to finish this film. So the controversy had to do with the theater owners, the studio, and Netflix. Who's going to get what when? So the deal that finally was worked out, and I don't think the movie theaters were very happy about this, is that they were going to get the film for a limited run. I think it runs in Indianapolis. Even though it's on Netflix, it's still running for a day or two more as we record this in Indianapolis. I wanted to see it in a theater, so I made a point to do that. Uh, So where you see it and how you see it was a big controversy. And, of course, he was going to get the money from it. So uh, it, it has created a controversy. I'm going to talk later on after we're done talking about films about this whole streaming service issue and how that's changing the way films are done and financed. But uh, Well, putting into it, Martin Scarsese was doing some promotion for the movie, and then he uh, people thought that he was taking a shot at... Marvel movies or comic book movies. I because that was kind of a side thing, but yeah, he did do that. I, my theory is he was promoting his movie on a streaming service. So, of course, he's going to say, why are the movie theaters filled with comic book movies and we're not having enough space for great films? He might have a point there. Um, I think we have too many. I don't, I'm not against comic book movies. I think we have too many of them. I really do. I mean, I, I grew up with Batman and Superman and, and all. I was a big Marvel fan, but I was a DC comic fan as a kid. And to me, uh, once the Superman film came out many eons ago and created the buzz for, for all these, and then Marvel came out and dovetailed on that, that was fine. And, and I still like the early Batman films. But, you know, it's like anything else in Hollywood. If they think they've got a successful formula, just keep hitting you with it again and again and again. Scorsese did follow up his comments with a column in the New York Times where Mm -hmm. he explained the difference between a movie and a work of cinema, which he didn't consider the Marvel movies to be a work of cinema, because he said there was really no risk in making these movies. Um, And maybe he's right. There was maybe a business risk years ago when they first started in Marvel branched out and formed its own movie studio. Yes, there was a business risk, but as much as I enjoy some of them, I don't see the artistic risks in their films that maybe we see in, uh, say, something by uh, A24 Studios. Sure. So I think what you're saying is that there's a there's a base audience for all these films now that did not exist before, yeah. and that's why there's little or no risk. Now, I think that some of those films were a bit edgy and risky, uh, but I, I think on the whole, they're not as... Now, you do Irishman, that's a risky film. That's a piece of cinema, as Martin Scorsese would tend uh, to do. So so now, now you saw it in a the theater. What did yes. you think of the movie? Now, I gave it a B plus, and it would have received an A if it had not been so long. I think the film is longer than it had to be. I'm not saying long films are always bad. I think uh, Apocalypse Now is one of the greatest films ever done. I think Godfather Part Two is another outstanding film. Uh, film that will stand the test of time they're very long this could have been a lot shorter this just there's just too much dialogue that just didn't have to be there i am so happy 
that Martin Scorsese uh, convinced Joe Pesci to come out of retirement because he had said he was not doing another film. He's done with, uh, with the whole acting thing. And, and he stole every scene he was in, in my view. He was, I mean, and he was a very act. different character than he usually plays. Absolutely. He was the laid-back mob boss. He wasn't the jumpy, nervous character. He was the laid-back, thinking mob boss. Uh, Mark, uh, Buff, uh, Russ Buffalino, call him Russ all the time, Buffalino. And what I like about uh, The Irishman, I, I like some things and I don't like others. Uh, the one thing I enjoyed is that they're very edgy in the sense that uh, they use real names of real people. And some of it is fiction, some of it is based on reality. For example, they give us a view on the disappearance of Jimmy Hoffa. It is a view. Nobody knows the actual answer. There have been a couple of books that came out recently. Uh, Chucky is one of the uh, characters, uh, Jimmy Hoffa's... The uh, fostered son of yeah. Jimmy Hoffa, yeah. The foster son of Chucky has written a book about the whole thing. And, and, and Chucky, at the very end of his life, sort of told his son, after they'd been had an on-and-off relationship, what he thought happened. Now, the film kind of makes Chucky out to be just somebody who doesn't even have any idea what's going on. You know, he's, he's a part of something he doesn't understand. Uh, but uh, I have to say, Robert De Niro did exactly the job you would expect him to do, as did Al Pacino, although people are always going to compare Al Pacino and... Uh, Jack Nicholson in their portrayals of Jimmy Hoffa. I think Nicholson made a bigger effort to get the mannerisms down. Yeah, the and, the and accent all, of Nicholson was distracting. I thought, but he yeah, that's what he thought that was the best way to portray him. I don't know if that was the case. Pacino, I don't think he tried to mimic his hip, uh, the, his uh, his persona as much as he wanted to just try to portray the person that Hoffa was. And in that sense, I think Al Pacino did a, a fine job. Uh, it was It's a great movie. Could have been better had it been shorter. I give it a B-plus for that reason. It's going to be one of the best films of the year. Your, your so, thoughts? Uh, it's, it's in my top ten. I didn't expect to like it. Uh, and I'm a Scorsese fan. Goodfellas is one of my top five films of all time. But I feel like recently he's done some good movies, but he's had overly long films. Um and it just felt like some of the actors that are in this, Pesci has been in retirement, and as much as I'm a fan of De Niro and Pacino, they haven't been putting out a lot of great works recently. It feels like sometimes they're uh, afraid to say no when somebody offers them uh, a movie. And they've, they've done some stinkers, both of them, and they're two of the greatest actors of all time. Well, that's true of almost any actor. you got to admit that. Well, true, yeah. but I think... They've done some. Be- they did one recently mm-hmm. together. Righteous Kill. It was mm-hmm. terrible. Yeah. Uh, it was no heat by any means. And so I thought, oh my god, is it going to be kind of washed up actors phoning it in in a generic uh, remake of Goodfellas? And you can see parts of it were derivative of Goodfellas in the uh, narration voiceover that was a little overdone. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked the film though. I thought that the de aging worked. Uh, it was a little distracting at first. Uh, in the beginning of the movie, when De Niro was supposed to be in his 30s or 40s, I was like, eh, he looks a little bit older than that. But later on in the movie, it it, it worked pretty well and made sense. I do think the, the de-aging effects may be limited the facial mobility of De Niro, but he's never been the uh, person with the biggest facial expressions anyway, so that's probably all right. Um, 
but it had great scenery. Uh, there's really good cameos by some mm-hmm. people you wouldn't expect. Ray Romano. Um, I'm trying to think of all. Uh, Anna Paquin has a small role. Um, Stephen Graham of Boardwalk Empire. Um, there's just on and on just smaller parts. Harvey Keitel has really only one mm-hmm. s- scene in the movie, but he does a great job in it. Mm-hmm. So it's got a great cast. It's a story that I think is worth telling. It's actually a really interesting story. Should have been edited down? Absolutely. I don't know if it needed to be three and a half hours long. Um, but I wasn't bored. Now, different for me and you, I watched it on Netflix. <laughs> I wasn't bored. I just watched the film and thought to myself, my gosh, you know, this could have been shorter. It was a great, it was a good film that could have been a great one. I was going to always see it on Netflix, Larry, because I, you know, you got to stop and pee, um, you know, get yourself a snack. Now for a guy my age to be able to sit through that for three and a half hours and not have to get up and take a break, that was my victory of the <laughs> night. <laughs> well, I mean, I think most people like me, we watched it and then there was probably an hour left and you're like, I'm going to finish this tomorrow. And then yeah. you... You've watched the rest of the movie the next day. So they should have put an intermission or something in there. But overall, um, I think it's a good movie. I think that both Pesci and De Niro deserve supporting actor nominations. Uh, I wouldn't mind if De Niro got a lead actor nomination, but we'll see how crowded the field is. If Pesci doesn't get a supporting actor nomination, something is wrong. Pesci really deserves it. Pacino, maybe, but it might be a crowded field. Uh, One thing I mentioned uh, on a post on social media, so later we'll talk about some of the other movies. Uh, Supporting actor could be a crowded uh, category for the Oscars, especially considering what they think is supporting, what they think is lead. Now, Tom Hanks in the Mr. Rogers film, which I saw at Heartland Film Festival, um, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, he will definitely be a frontrunner for supporting actor nomination, and he won't be a lead. He is a supporting role. And the same with Jamie Foxx gives a great supporting performance in Just Mercy, which I saw at Heartland Film uh, Festival too. One was the opening night film, one Mm -hmm. was the closing night film, so kind of interesting there. I think Joe Pesci's definitely in line. But then after that, sometimes we see this category hopping where someone who really was a lead in the film uh, gets categorized as supporting. I think last year with Mahersha Ali and Green Book, Mm -hmm. that was really a co-lead performance, Mm -hmm. but he won the Oscar for Supporting Actor. And we might see some studios lobby for... Uh, Brad Pitt in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Christian Bale in Ford versus Ferrari, or Willem Dafoe in The Lighthouse, but, all co-leads, but they well, would try yeah. to categorize. And then that you know, uh, we bring Christopher Lloyd on on the podcast at least once a year because we love talking to him uh, from Film Yap, and he has always talked almost every year about this problem at the Academy, uh, this idea of what is a supporting actor role, what's a lead actor role. And I think the The favorite last year was really difficult because you had three female actresses that did a great job. I know I I was being redundant by saying female actresses. I'm sorry there. But um, who was the lead? And they eventually gave it to Olivia Coleman because they thought she had the strongest chance to win, and she did end up winning. But it's but interesting. It's, 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 it's they play games with this depending on who they would like to see win. It's, it's that's the way you kind of put it in your mind. I don't know if that's what really happens at the Academy, but you have to be suspicious. And Christopher Lloyd thinks of that too. Well, I want to talk about a few other films before we take a break here. Uh, here's one that you and I have both written about this. I published a, a, a podcast a review on this as soon as it came out, and I've seen your comments on social media about it. 
and 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 I, it's a hard thing to say. I think this might be my favorite film I have seen this year. I haven't seen them all, but I love this film, and there are a lot of reasons why. Number one, I've always loved racing. Uh, I did get a chance to briefly meet Carroll Shelby at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. <laughs> he had a an offer to people in the media. This was back in the 1980s, and he was offering to give people a ride around the track in a car he designed. I didn't take that bait. So some of the reporters did. Walked out a little dazed because he he scared people to death. But he was a he's a real character. I never met him one on one, but I I met him in a group. Uh, his story is great. He's uh, one of the few <clears throat> Americans to have ever won the 24 Hours of Le Mans. And after he won that race, his doctors told him he could no longer race or he was going to die. And it was really hard for him. So he starts designing cars. And, and it, the whole story uh, revolves around a, a business story, actually, because Henry Ford II wanted to buy Ferrari. Um, and Ferrari was on the ropes financially because Enzo Ferrari had poured so much money into his racing operation, the rest of the business suffered, and he was bankrupt, essentially, with his business. So Ford wanted the worst way to, to, to buy Ferrari and, and take over Le Mans, right? Well, long story short, uh, he ended up not selling to Ford, made some very awful personal remarks about Henry Ford II, and Henry Ford II took uh, offense to that and decided he was going to put a race team together and he was going to win Le Mans. So what does he do? He has a man by, at that time was not a famous man, later did become that. That's Lee Iacocca, who was on the staff of Henry Ford II, had him go see the only man in America, I think it was living at that time, that had won Le Mans, and that was Carroll Shelby. And so it's, it's the story of putting together that racing team. It's a story of one particular race driver that... Uh, Ken Miles. Ken Miles, yeah. that uh, has a heavy Australian accent, and Christian Bale was outstanding. You got me. I mean, like oh, you no. mentioned earlier just how good he was. And, and, you know, Matt Damon was good, too. But I've got to say, this film, maybe it's because I like racing so much, and I thought there was so much good racing in this film. It's not, it's not the center of the film, but they did the racing scenes well, and it doesn't always happen. So this is my top movie of the year so far. Good. So we agree uh, on we, Yeah, and it, I didn't expect it to be. I'm not a big ra- – you're a big racing fan. I'm not really. I don't really go to the 500. I don't really watch NASCAR. And racing movies, to me, have always been a little dry because – as a sport, you really don't see a lot of the human emotion. You see cars move around the track, and movies try to show you from the driver's perspective, but rarely do they catch, capture the human emotion in the aspect of uh, racing as this film does. Mm-hmm. Uh, the direction is fantastic. The race scenes are thrilling and suspenseful, but I was really surprised by how interested I was in the non-racing scenes, them negotiating how do we get these deals done and how do we... Things that really should be dry and boring. They're making a business deal, whether they should buy a company, and yet you, as the movie movie viewer, are really interested. And I'm also um, excited that my number one movie of the year is something that I can wholeheartedly recommend to families, to people who may be a little more um, conservative. Uh, and I mean, I don't mean that politically, but I mean, and they don't want to see uh, anything grotesque or. Um, really R-rated. Sure. Uh, this is a film you could bring your grandparents to, and I think that would be fine. Uh, you know I like a lot of weird indie films, and sometimes my favorite movie of the film is not one that I would recommend to everyone. But this one I can, Larry. I can recommend this film to most people. I would agree with that, too. And there's a character, Ken Miles' son, who's a very important 
cog in that whole story. Great child actor. I can't remember his name. Played that. So you, you look at Miles as a family man, too. You look at his family. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, the danger of racing is always there. And I'm not going to give the ending away, but uh, it's always in the background. And the only person... The only person in the whole story that ever really even asks about that is Ken Miles' son. You know, nobody wants to talk about that. That is the way the racing business is. By the way, you know, you talk about the business of racing. Uh, it's a big part of it. There are at least, at last time I counted, there are three starters in last year's Indianapolis 500 that will not have a ride this year. They have lost their rides. So the business part of racing, I have always found to be fascinating. And it's a big part of this story. And I love the portrayal of Henry Ford II. I just thought, you know, I had heard stories about him and everything I'd see, I saw in that film dovetailed with everything I'd read about him. So I think part of the reason I really like this movie, and this kind of echoes back to two, three years ago when we both agreed on The Shape of Water. Mm -hmm. This was a film where almost every character in the movie was well done, fleshed out, and you either liked or at least understood that character. So many movies you watch where there's a character that just wasn't very well developed or just really don't get to know them. Even in the Irishman, which we just saw, there were some characters in there that were kind of throwaway. True. Um, But this film, you really liked every character. Um, It was a funny movie. I know racing movies aren't really... But this this was a funny film. Um, And I think you... uh, It was kind of inspirational in a way because um, here were people that were trying to do the impossible and people told them it couldn't be done and it's really about pushing the limits of what is possible. And I think that's uh, there's some inspiration in that. And Ken Miles, as you mentioned, is, is one of the main characters. He's probably a supporting actor, we think. We, who knows what the Academy will say. But yet he's this Australian who is he just does not fit into the corporate culture of Ford. And it's hard for Carol Shelby to do it too, but he, he tries to you know walk the minefield of the politics. And there are people at, within the structure that are trying to undermine them. You see all that kind of thing, that corporate politics that goes on. Uh, but the first time Ford goes uh, racing at Le Mans, they don't let Miles go. And it, it's a it's you know complicated reason he just didn't they didn't think he fit in the corporate culture, and I won't get into how he got in the second year, but it's, it's a great story about how Miles eventually got to race at Le Mans, and what happened at the end. And there's there's some great ending stories that I will not talk about because it would spoil the film for you. So I I love the fact that uh, you see, and this gets to what you were saying exactly. You know you see the human side of racing, the business side of racing, not just what's on the track. But they did a decent job of the uh, scenes they did on the racetrack. We're going to talk about a number of other films uh, when we come back. You're listening to Hamilton County Goes to the Movies. Our podcast originates from Donatello's Italian Restaurant, 9 West Main Street in the heart of the downtown Carmel Arts and Design District. Would you consider an Italian dinner or group event? Think Donatello's. For more, go to DonatelloItalian.com or call 317-564-4790. If you enjoy our podcasts, do a review and or comment about Hamilton County Goes to the Movies on whichever platform you use to listen to our podcasts. Back at Donatello's, let's move on to some other films uh, we've seen. I want to talk about Joker. I saw Joker, 
And I walked into that film hoping for a great film because I've seen Joaquin Phoenix put in some outstanding performances in films that are edgy and other people might like them. But I looked at him and thought, wow, really terrific cinematic works of art. Joker didn't hit that for me. Uh, I, I tried, I watched it, I tried to get something out of it, but it was just not there. And, and uh, this does a, an, an interesting job of dovetailing how Joker begins as a character. You see the young Bruce Wayne see his, his parents die from, and it wasn't Joker that did it, but somebody who was a follower of Joker who did it. Uh, and that's that, that's no secret. Everybody knows that's part of the Batman story. Bruce, the young Bruce Wayne, seeing his parents killed and then becoming a crime fighter uh, as an adult. Uh, but I don't know. I, I wanted to like Joker. I wanted it, and there were some scenes that I thought were okay, and were good. There are some parts of it I think that are informative, and maybe you can learn from. But overall, I had to give this film a D plus. So I give it a B. Um, okay. So I liked it. it a lot better. So the film stayed with me in a lot of ways. So even a day or two after, there were images and scenes with the movie that kind of were stuck in my head, which usually is a sign that uh, of a good movie because there was something memorable about it for me i think ultimately why i give it a positive grade i think joaquin phoenix's performance is strong enough to really make the movie for me i'm someone who really likes to watch great acting on film and i think you've even said in your review said earlier you can't deny the fact that his acting is fantastic in the film the question is is the story there well that i mean i can i can understand the criticism some people have had uh it was very derivative of uh, Martin Scorsese films, specifically Taxi Driver and The King of Comedy. Um, I don't know if the message at the end, I know some people have come up with their own interpretations of it, uh, was really a positive one. I do worry about the societal impact of glorifying such violence. Um, although you could probably interpret the movie as talking about our need to address mental health, and I think that's a positive thing. Uh, ultimately, it felt like, this is going to probably offend some people, but I'll say it, uh, an art film for dumb people. Um, <laughs> if you know what I mean. You coined a phrase there that's going to come back to haunt you. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, but, I, I, I can't, in a way, I see how you can say that. The reason I didn't like the film is because I didn't think it was portrayed well. The direction was lacking. Uh, Phoenix does his part of the job. I don't think the other people who were involved in the film did their part of the job. But you know something? Here is, Adan, you touched on this. It, it's, it's a specific story with an example of how the mental health system in a city that has one of the better ones in America and New York City, at least at that time, cut the budget, took away this man's mental health at a key point in his life. And and that's part of the, the story is trying to tell you that's one reason he went down the path he did. The funniest part of, okay, it's not a funny movie, but the funniest no, part of the movie really. was, so I saw it with my dad. My dad has a sixth sense of humor. You've, you've talked to my I've dad. I've talked before. to your dad. I like your dad. He laughed yeah. at the parts of the movie that were totally inappropriate for anyone <laughs> to laugh at. And then I'm laughing at him laughing at the inappropriate parts. And I'm oh. like, oh, God, I hope there's not like an undercover cop <laughs> in the theater trying to say, why are these two laughing at these parts? I doubt that the uh, police, uh, I don't think that's really something they have time to do. But well, <laughs> but there was a lot of stories about was the sure. film going to sure. encourage people to commit violence. The one thing that disappointed me about Joker, and I'm not going to praise the film like the greatest film ever. It seems that everyone either loves or hates this movie, and that's there's true. not a lot of middle ground. Yeah. I may be one that's in the middle. Okay. But 
a lot of people seem to form their opinion before the movie came out, and that's really disappointing to me. And the movie was starting to get politicized by both sides. I agree. Uh, people on the probably the alt right were trying to make Joker into the hero, the king of the incels, so to speak, where you, you've heard of the incel oh, yeah. phrase oh, yeah. there. Oh, yeah. yeah, where it's these angry mm-hmm. internet message board, keyboard warriors, and he's their hero because he's fighting against it. And then there was probably some people on the other side of the political spectrum who hated the movie and saying, oh my God, they should ban the movie from being in theaters because it's irresponsible to show it. And a lot of these opinions about the movie before people have actually seen it is really disappointing. Well, I, I, I walked into it thinking I would like it. I mean, I wasn't there thinking, oh, I'm going to be offended by this. My mind was totally open. And, you know, I got it a D plus. It's just below a uh, recommendation to see it. So it's not an F. It's not an awful film. And there is value in this film. I just didn't think it was... An, if see, yes, it's a yes or no, I'd have to give it a, barely a no. It's films like this is part of the reason why a lot of sites like Rotten Tomatoes have shut down reviews before the films have come out. Mm-hmm. Um, they do allow some because... You know, in theory, you could have seen it at a film festival because mm-hmm. it did air at some film festivals and it won awards at those film festivals. But you see a lot of people writing reviews for and against films that they did not see, they could not have seen, they haven't even come out yet, and it makes those rating sites kind of unreliable. Yeah, and I, I fully agree with that. And some people do get advanced screenings, whether it's a film festival or some other way. Did you have a chance to see the film Judy about Judy Girl? No, I did not. Well, let me say a word, just a word or two about that. I gave it a C grade because Rennie Zellweger, this is her film. It I feels mean, she o- was, the trailer made it look Oscar Beatty, was it? Uh, well, I mean, she did a performance that is Oscar worthy. I mean, she to- she poured herself into this role. Uh, two, three comments about. It. I gave it a C because I I, I wanted to like it again. I it's, it's a story. Judy Garland's story has been told so many different ways in so many different times. Uh, there are a few constants. Number one is the horrible way Judy Garland, the child, was treated as a child star at the studio. Uh, Louis Mayer did some pretty awful things to her, which are portrayed in the film. Not a graphic form, but enough that you get the picture of what was going on. There's one scene where she and Mickey Rooney are, are uh, in the cafeteria, whatever they call it, the, at the studio. And, you know, they, they, she's under orders to eat only certain things because they are filming The Wizard of Oz and they don't want a fat <laughs> Wizard of Oz character, you know. And uh, she dares to start to eat a hamburger and somebody grabs her and takes her. I mean, it's just the kind of existence you lived as a child star, your life Does she was so play controlled. the younger version, or is that a different actress? Uh, different actress. Okay. Yes, they put a whole different actress in for the young Judy Garland, which is that's the only way it would really work. Um, and she really liked Mickey Rooney and wanted to be his girlfriend, and she was he was not interested. <laughs> that really kind of crushed her. But I, I, I this, going back and forth, you see how, as a child star, she was abused, and how that had a lot to do with her alcohol problems, her drug problems. You know, at the point they start the film, she has two of her young kids with her, and they're being thrown out of their apartment. Uh, she is broke. And finally, her agent tells her, there's only one place that will take you because you've got a habit of not showing up for performances or showing up in a, in a horrible state. They want you in London. You go to London, or that's it. So she went to London, and things got bad there, too. Uh, and at the end of the film, they tell you that, you know, this series of events that are portrayed as just happened six months before she died. 
uh, it's a sad story. And you look at her and you look at her life and, and how she was abused as a young person and how that probably contributed to the fact that she could never have a, a decent relationship with the man. She had several husbands, obviously. And that's sort of portrayed there. So, I, again, Judy is a good film. It's not a great film. If you have an interest in Judy Garland and you're really interested in her story, I think you might learn a thing or two. Although you've probably got to do rental at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. not it's not available. It'll be streamed or, or rented, and it'll be on uh, pay services before too much longer. So you'll, you won't be able to see it in a movie theater anymore. Um, you've seen Ad Astra, right? No, that's oh. one I missed. I heard it's beautiful, but uh, if you were expecting a action-packed space film, you uh, might be disappointed. It's a father-son film. Yeah. That's, that's couched in space technology of the future. And uh, Tommy Lee Jones plays the father. Very small part, because he doesn't come into the very end. Uh, but, you know, he's probably perfect for that role. And, you know, I just think that uh, Ad Astra being a father-son film, Brad Pitt is, it puts in a great performance. Don't think it's Oscar-worthy. We'll see. Um, but I enjoyed, I enjoyed the science fiction part of it, the, the futuristic part of it. Uh, but it's really, uh, it's an uneven film, unfortunately. I gave it a C minus. It's okay. Uh, don't expect any great things out of it. But uh, uh, if it's if on a streaming service you already have, hey, I'd, I'd recommend you, you give it a try. Did you see Downton Abbey? No, my wife went and saw it. Um, and I watched the baby while she went and saw the movie. Well, you're a very kind <laughs> father and husband. I, I did watch that. the TV show, though. <laughs> well, I like the show. The thing about the film at the very beginning of the film, they know that a number of people who are at the film have never seen the TV series. They spend, a, I think it's about seven minutes, just giving you a history of all the characters and what's happened before. And the big story, if you haven't heard, is that the uh, royal family is coming to the Abbey, and uh, the whole film is about all that. And Do they finally get Bates for murder? Because, you know, that guy... <laughs> I swear, it makes my wife mad to bring it up. He was accused of murder twice, and I know he was innocent both times. My theory is he did that, okay? It was a little too suspicious what was going on there, Larry, all right? I, I think he's probably innocent, but we'll leave it there. Okay. We have a disagreement on that one, but who will ever know? The, the, only the writers know That's for my sure. only hot take about Downton Abbey is Bates and his murder. I gave, so. it, a, I gave it a B plus. Uh, it's... Uh, it's, it's really a lot of fun. I just enjoyed it. I, I mean, my wife has a real fascination with royalty in England, particularly. The well, my wife wants family. to go to High Clear Castle one day. Oh, that, that's, oh, really? I think it's where they film it, right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. That is the castle. Yeah, it is like a fascinating place. And, you know, they had to find a, the, the perfect abbey, and it is, uh, oh, yeah. I, I, but the story is very nice. It ends in a way you don't expect. It gives you a couple of curveballs at the end, and you get some. You, you get a few clues, but you, you, at the end you see some things you don't expect. So I enjoyed Downton Abbey. Came in not knowing, not really expecting to like it. My wife loved it, and I lo liked it a whole lot better than I thought. And the, I think that is still playing in a few theaters. It uh, is, but know. it's also like coming out on Blu-ray and DVD, I think, I think you can buy it on streaming now. Okay. So right. it's one of those films that's had some legs, kind of like how yeah. Greatest Showman did a couple years sure. ago, where yeah. it's been in theaters a long time. The final one I want to talk about before I turn it over to you and see, uh, have you talk about some films? Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So wow. That, so I, I saw that too. I liked it, but... I think other people liked it more than I did. Well, I gave it a B grade, and maybe it's the age difference between you and I, because I remember the whole Manson thing, and it takes the Manson story, and it just gives you kind of but a what it, if. It didn't it feel tacked on, though? Of course, but it it, it was, it, how should I put it? It captured the uh, America of 1969. I never went to Los Angeles, 
but you can kind of get the pop culture from here and see where it's going. L.A. kind of tells you that. And it did accurately portray the way people thought the way life was at that time in America, so once upon a time in America. Uh, I, I enjoyed the characters. I enjoyed... Uh, it was a fun film. You walked out thinking, well, I had a good time watching that film. No, I, I enjoyed it. It felt like a hangout film where you're just well, hanging yeah. out with the characters. So it's don't expect a lot of heavy plot, and then it felt like the plot kind of rushed. Or they were just shoehorning some plot in at the end. So I liked the film, um, but I don't loved it as much as other people who say it's some of their top five films of the year. Um, but I will tell you what my top five are, Larry. Though uh, that, that dovetails right All to right. your takeover and so, uh, tell me. Number one is Ford versus Ferrari, which we've already talked about. Um, now these could change. There are a few films I still need to see, such as Uncut Gems, Waves, and 1917, um, which I think could be good. But right now, uh, probably the next f- four films after Ford versus Ferrari would be um, The Lighthouse. Um, a black and white thriller about two men in a historic lighthouse. And it's just those two it's men. Just those two film. men. Yeah. And they start to drive each other so crazy that they want to kill each other. And it's amazing acting by Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe. This could be Willem Dafoe's chance to win an Oscar finally, depending on who he's against, mm-hmm. because there could be some strong competition. But he just falls into the character. It's got a crazy ending. Well, he should have um, won for Florida Project. Yeah, he should have won for that one. But he lost to Winston Churchill. Mm-hmm. But I didn't think a film about a guy getting mad at his roommate for farting would be so (laughs) suspenseful and dramatic, Larry. (laughs) That is in the film. I didn't know that. Okay. Um, Fair enough. Go right ahead. Parasite. Um, This is probably the front runner for foreign language film of the year, although some people who've seen a lot tell me there are better options. Did that win the top prize at uh, at, uh, in in the can? I I think it did. It won some awards. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a great film. It's a... South Korean director who did Snowpiercer and Okja. He's done a lot of other uh, great things. Um, but it's really, it's a thriller that kind of mixes genres about uh, a family who's unemployed, uh, obviously living in a poorer part of uh, South Korea. And they, um, one by one, start taking jobs in this house, a very gullible, uh, wealthy family. One son becomes the tutor for a child. The other one becomes the art teacher. One becomes the driver. One becomes the, the housekeeper. I don't want to give anything away, but then the film starts to progress and build and build. Don't, don't read too much about the plot or what happens because it's fun and the surprises. It's got a great ending. And really, um, even if you're someone who's adverse to subtitles, I'd give this one a try because, mm-hmm. uh, it's not a boring film. It's very exciting, uh, and interesting. The Farewell, another uh, film. No, I, that, I did see that. Yeah. yeah, that was a really touching film the, about uh, basically a Chinese-American girl born in China but grew up most of her life in America, played by the rapper-slash-actress Aquafina. Um, she goes back to China to visit her grandmother because her grandmother has been diagnosed with terminal cancer, and everyone in the family knows that the grandmother is going to die, but the grandmother does not. And that's the cultural norm in China, and it's not here, and that's where the rub really comes in. There's some there's some humor in it. I didn't think there the is, film yeah. would be as yeah. humorous. I learned about different cultures, uh, and it was very moving. 
and uh, it has a nice ending that I won't give away. But Aquafina's character is constantly pushing back on her family because she's an American. She's Americanized as she grew up in American culture. So why could you keep this away from my grandmother? She needs to know this, and they're saying, why does she need to know it? Our, our culture says, leave her alone, let her enjoy life until it's the time is up, and and. Uh, you sit and you watch the film, and as an American, you, you start off with Aquafina's view, her character's view, and as the film progresses, things get a little more complicated, and it's like, well, maybe we need to think about this. For this fifth spot, um, it's a little tough. There's a lot of films I thought about there. Uh, I really enjoyed uh, Just Mercy, the film that we talked about at Heartland Film Festival, a true story of a young man um, who starts the a law firm helping people on death row. Ultimately, I kind of knocked it off a few points because it was a little bit by the numbers, but it's still probably in my top 10 films of the year. I thought about Jojo Rabbit, another film I saw at Heartland Film Festival, uh, kind of controversial because it's about a young boy who worships Adolf Hitler, and then he finds out that his mother has a Jewish girl living in their attic, and then they... um, he basically, at the end, not to give anything away, he decides that hatred is wrong. So it does have a positive ending there. Um, I thought about Midsummer, a film that is not for everyone, kind of overly long, a horror film about kind of a cult-like society in Scandinavia, which with human sacrifice and all these crazy things. Uh, very visually crazy film. It's by the same director as Hereditary from a couple of years ago. Very good film. Oh, yeah. And... Um, I thought about Us, the film that Jordan Peele did as follow-up, not as meaningful as Get Out, didn't have the social commentary, but just a well-done horror film uh, with some great acting by uh, Lupita. I can say her last name, is it? uh, But she plays dual roles and does it fantastically. But in the end, I think my fifth spot's going to go to a film that you can watch on Netflix this next month that I saw early at the Heartland Film Festival, and that's Marriage Story. Um, a film by Noah Baumbach, uh, which you might know from a lot of different films like The, the Squid and the Whale, um, and uh, Francis Ha. He's done a lot of great movies. This one stars Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson. They both give Oscar-worthy performances, uh, and it's about what happens when people get divorced. And it kind of felt like an old uh, Woody Allen movie, and I mean that in a good way. Sure. Uh, Alan Alda gives a great uh, supporting performance. Laura Linney does as well. She is fantastic as one of the attorneys. And Ray Liotta plays kind of the sleazy uh, divorce lawyer, which he's really good at. It felt like his face was all flushed and red the entire time you saw him. Um, a lot of humor, which you wouldn't surprise, which you wouldn't expect for a film about divorce. Um, but Adam Driver, I think this film elevates him into some of the best actors in Hollywood. He does. He gives a fantastic performance. The only thing that I marked the film off for is it focused so much on Adam Driver's side of the story that I wish they would have explored Scarlett Johansson, the wife. It felt very much from Noah Baumbach's perspective and not... I would have liked to see more of the of her perspective as well for a little more balance. But it it's an emotionally moving movie with a, uh, a great centerpiece of acting there, so... Uh, check that out on Netflix. Uh, may not be the happiest film you watch, but you will be amazed by the acting in that. Well, a good film doesn't always have to be happy. You know, we, that was a, happened in the '30s and '40s a lot, but didn't. Uh, I think uh, starting the, starting in the '60s, things got more real. Want to talk about one subject here that I think can have an impact on film. 
you know, we used to always talk about movie pass. It's it's died a silent and and and, de- uh, <laughs> and, was... and deserved death. Whereas that was a situation where movie pass thought they were you know the movie studios were going to go along with them uh, because they're going to have but all they this pro- data. But they, they, were, had, they had remember the, they were starting to produce films and they produced that one fantastic film, Gotti, yes. starring. Yes, <laughs> that was your film of the year that year. Was and I haven't it? even seen it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 you told me it was my favorite film of the year, and I never even saw you were, it. You were so interested in it. my dad. Dad wanted to see it. I, apparently, uh, it's one of those. It's so bad. It's good movies. Yeah, I'll have to. Maybe I'll see it if I can see it for free sometime. Uh, the, uh, streaming services. We've already talked about Netflix and The Irishman, and and there've been a, a few other instances of this. Disney has just started their streaming service just briefly, just just really a short period of time before uh, that we uh, we record this. And I just saw a story today that they have 10 million signups. Now, that's a little bit of a skewed uh, statistic, and I'll explain why. Uh, my wife and I have a certain kind of uh, contract with Verizon for our wireless. Turns out that because we have that contract, we are eligible to have one free year of Disney. So we, we are considered a subscriber, even though we're not paying anything for it. But again, it's for one year only. They're trying to hook people on and trying to bring other partners in, I guess. So I, I, I signed up for it. I signed on to it, and I looked at it. And, you know, if I had a small child, kind of your your daughter's age, I'm sure I, I, I would probably want to keep it. There's a lot for that child And to there's see. also people around my age with a lot of nostalgia of, mm-hmm. oh, I used to watch this TV show on Disney Channel, or, oh, I, I remember this movie when I was a kid. But other and, than and that, Star, and Star Wars is, is a featured part. Yeah. of it. there's a whole section of Star. But Wars. interestingly enough, they don't have every Star Wars movie no, on there. They do not, and they don't have every Marvel movie or That's even correct. all the Disney films because there are some existing licensing agreements with Netflix and other services that haven't expired yet. Now mm-hmm. they could try to buy them out, but that would be expensive. So presumably, they mm-hmm. would wait for that deal to expire, and then they would start adding that back to their library on Disney Plus. But it's very heavily skewed toward. Kids. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. all, the, and I suspect that they. No, they will didn't put any of their Miramax stuff on there. What's that again? They didn't put any of their Miramax, <laughs> Miramax stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's technically under Disney. So. Well, true. That's, <laughs> so, but I think over time they'll probably try to put put more uh, adult friendly material on there. But right now, it's not on there as they as they initially put it up there. Uh, the future of film with high def screens, nice uh, sound systems in your home, uh, Ford, uh, you know, the, the ultra high definition. Uh, 4K, all that technology there where you can watch a film in your home a lot closer to the experience in the theater. Not exactly, but much closer to it. So there are a couple of questions that come into play in my mind, and I'd like to get your view on this. Number one, how does that impact the future of the movie theater as we know it? And secondly, how will that also impact the type of movies that will be made with the delivery systems in flux? So I think first, I think movie theaters will always have place. I think they're going to have to provide a better experience, food, concessions. Um, I think there you might see more films that are in theaters and on streaming at the same time, like we kind of saw with the almost simultaneous with The Irishman, because um, I think that they're going to realize that's kind of a revenue source. But I do think how are we consuming movies has changed. Some people are watching something on their phone or as they fold laundry, and that's fine, especially if it's a a lighthearted film that doesn't require much attention or something you've seen before. But I would still encourage people, whether you're at home or if you go to the theater, to really put aside the phone, 
pay attention and just kind of absorb a few really good films a year. If it's something you're really looking forward to or something that is kind of a well-crafted piece of art, pay attention to it. You can't really absorb a film while you're doing 10 other things. My son-in-law was um, visiting us uh, this Thanksgiving holiday, and my wife, my, my, my daughter and he live out in South Dakota, so we don't get to see him all the time, but he said something to me that I have been thinking about. We are getting to the point where if you subscribe to, like, the pay TV uh, uh, services like HBO and Showtime and Stars and there's some others. And then you have streaming services and you've got cable TV where you can record on your DVR and back that up. Are we getting to the point now where there's so much content out there, people are going to have to choose and, you know, the whole business will sort itself out. Some will make it, some will not. What are your views on that? Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if they're going to all weed themselves out. I know that I, a lot of people my age are starting to say they were cutting the cord and we don't want cable, but we don't want to sign up for every service. We're like, all right, I had Netflix. I have Amazon Prime, especially because of free shipping. Uh, to have Hulu, Disney Plus, and Apple Plus, Apple Plus, that's another one they're doing coming out with too. It's mm-hmm. like at some point, you know, you know what would be great if you could come up with a service for when you sign in and then all of your accounts were just there, Larry. Someone's <laughs> got to hack into that. That would be brilliant. Oh, Lord. Um, you know what's interesting? They track these numbers. Netflix um, closely guards the viewership numbers of their movies. And, and they don't TV even sh- tell the producers how much. They will yeah. sometimes leak it if they need some nice publicity. They'll say, this was the... No, but if you recall, we've had some movie makers who are on Netflix and, and they're... Uh, they're in, when we were doing a weekly podcast, and, and they, they were frustrated because they had to negotiate a new contract and had no idea how many people were watching. And uh, the, Netflix had all that data. Well, somebody said, that if you looked at the data, that one year there was this really bad Adam Sandler, Jennifer Aniston comedy on Netflix that looked terrible, that more people saw that movie than any other movie that year mm-hmm. in the United States. Uh, and it's not because it was the best movie, but because it was free, it was there, and it was like, oh, dumb Adam Sandler movie. I'll put this on. And more people watch that than almost anything else. So the marketing has something to do with it. The availability is part of my package. I'm not paying extra for it. I just wonder how it's going to impact the kind of movies we're going to see. I do remember when Netflix... Well, we're going to see more dumb Adam Sandler well, movies. Well, yeah, I guess so, if that's what the data shows. But I do remember when Netflix was fairly new, but they were getting more and more money coming in. They would go to places like Sundance, and and they would look for documentary films, and they would buy them, and it was providing you know a source of money for some of these independent filmmakers, and I just wonder how long that's going to last. I don't think that can last forever. Well, they had a joke on uh, a TV show recently how everyone's getting Netflix deals. <laughs> like it's not a, a hard that hard to get a deal for your movie or your TV show because they're just buying up so much content. It just might come to the point where, I don't know, maybe a screenwriter or a director doesn't have to try that hard to get their movie made anymore if they just want to go to a streaming service. It feels like anyone might buy it. It's too bad you and I are not filmmakers, Adam. I mean, we could we be, could, Larry. Yeah. I mean, let's think. All right. <laughs> well, it's, I, I remember the one fellow. Well, I think it was a woman who actually filmed her entire documentary on her iPhone. Oh, we, yeah. We could do that. Okay, it's about two podcast <laughs> guys. No, Suddenly. I think, I, think, I think we're going to scrap that idea. Well, listen, uh, we, we know we're getting into the holiday season. It's just started. So uh, I've only got two more uh, 
institutes to uh, teach for Indiana University, and uh, we'll hopefully have a couple more. Then you're going to put yourself in front of the TV and watch A Christmas Story 25 times in a row as it's aired <laughs> nonstop on, was it TNT or something? Well, I, I do want to say something because, you know, my daughters all have other things to do, and most of our families have, you know, young children and so forth, the people, you know, my aunt, my, my daughters, I don't have any kids yet, but they've got other commitments, so... Uh, we have my wife and I have decided to spend Christmas Eve at Donatello's. Oh, thank you. And I assume you still have a few, maybe a, a few reservations left. Yes, we're going to fill up kind of quickly because we're okay. we're not going to stay open late that night. But for you, Larry, I've got a spot. Anyone oh. else listening? Okay. Give us a call at three one seven five six four four seven nine zero. And uh, but I wouldn't wait too long because. Okay. Uh, as most restaurants are probably that day, we're filling up quickly. Well, very good. Well, you need to spend some time with your family, so we want to get you out of here. But uh, my wife and I eat dinner early anyway, so we're going to enjoy. Uh, we enjoy the food here, so we're going to. I'll have just a stand over your table and say, "Eat faster, Larry. <laughs> eat faster." Listen, I'll get the message real quick. <laughs> Gia, my daughter's waiting for me, Larry. My wife's waiting for me. And I'm always good to talk to you. We'll uh, do this again soon. So any final thoughts before we go? What kind of movies are you looking forward to that you haven't seen? Well, the Star Wars film was the one yeah. that my uh, my wife always looks forward to. So uh, I'm sure once that comes, uh, she'll want to see it as quickly as possible. So, I, And, you know, there's always that danger of just too high a set of expectations. So we'll, we'll hope, hopefully it will, it will meet the expectations of, the, uh, of, all, of everyone. Uh, when it actually you know is here and uh, we can see that, it there's a lot of teasing on this film that one i'm looking forward to and then um this film i know i just gave adam sandler a real hard time but he's in a film that looks good and mm-hmm. it's called uncut gems it's a heist film mm-hmm. and or i assume it's a heist film by the trailer um but that looks intriguing to me all right so we've got and we and we have lots of other films to look forward to so we'll look forward to talking to you again adam uh thanks so much and we'll be back uh soon On this episode, Adam and I caught up with a number of films we have seen in recent weeks. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast, and we do plan to produce more as the holiday film season gets into high gear. Adam and I hope you and your family continue to enjoy this holiday season. Once again, take a moment to review and or comment on this podcast on whichever platform you utilize to listen. Adam and I would love to know what you think of Hamilton County Ghost to the Movies, and we certainly welcome any suggestions you may have. In the meantime, we certainly thank you so much for listening. We'll talk again. <laughs>